Welcome to The Lawyerist Podcast, a series of discussions with entrepreneurs and innovators about building a successful law practice in today's challenging and constantly changing legal market. Lawyerist supports attorneys building client-centered and future-oriented law firms through community, content, and coaching, both online and through The Lawyerist Lab. And now, here are the co-authors of The Small Firm Roadmap and your podcast hosts. I'm Jennifer Wiggum. And I'm Stephanie Everett. And this is episode 353 of the Lawyers Podcast, part of the Legal Talk Network. In today's episode, I'm talking with our product director, Ashley Steckler, about how to better scope and manage projects for your business. Today's podcast is brought to you by Clio, Latera, Rankings.io, and Text Expander. We wouldn't be able to do this show without their support, so stay tuned. We'll tell you more about them later on. So, Stephanie, we have been thinking this week about this quote, and I want to get your thoughts on it. The quote is, it's not about what you know, it's about what you ask. Mm. What do you think about that? And how do you think it applies to some of the people in our community? Yeah, deep thoughts on today's podcast. Oh, yeah. I mean, as we were talking about it, what I think you shared really makes sense, which is this idea of not having to know everything. And in fact, maybe you can't know everything. Um, I think as the business owner, as the leader of an organization, we often put this heavy burden on ourselves that we're supposed to know everything. And in a way, what this says to me is lift some of that burden from yourself that that's actually not your job. Your job is to ask better questions. And it's through asking questions that you're going to get, you know, to a better work product, to a better team, to a better business. That is such a great way to put it because it's not just about humbling yourself and admitting that you don't know everything, which you don't, but it's actually to your advantage to admit that and get help because then you don't need to know everything all the time. I love that. Yeah. I think there's so many opportunities in our business. We talk a lot in lawyerist world about being intentional. And to me, this is just another layer of that idea where what is it that we're trying to build and how are we going to build it? And how can we gather the right information and ask the right questions, you know, to make sure that we're building this thing that people want and building a team that people want to be on? Yeah. And I think a lot when new attorneys come from big firms and they start their own firm, they are not used to having all that freedom to ask those questions and to make all those decisions. So I think it can be a jarring mindset that attorneys who have just started their firms don't even realize is happening to them. Yeah. And so I think it's just a good thing to keep top and and center of your mind. Like my job is to ask questions. I get to ask questions of my clients and find out what it is they really need and what they value. I get to ask questions to my team. I mean, I'm doing that right now. One of the things I'm working on is a a compensation philosophy for the team here at Lawyerist, which I'm sure we're going to share in more detail at some point, because I think I'm learning so much about how to think about compensation. And and it's just because I'm asking questions. Yeah. I think it's really exciting and freeing when you realize there's so much more to learn out there and you, you are not just stunted by the knowledge that you have in your head. I think it can really be this huge sense of relief to know you can get that kind of help. I think that's great. So now we have Zach's conversation with Cleo and then Stephanie's conversation with Ashley. Hey, y'all. It's Zach, the legal tech advisor here at Lawyerist, 
And today I'm joined by Joshua Lennon, the lawyer in residence at Clio, and we are talking about the legal trends report coming out from Clio. Joshua, thanks for, for being with us today. Zach, it's always good to be with lawyerists, and I'm really excited to be talking about our latest legal trends report. So I think most of our listeners are, are going to know, but for those that don't, what is the legal trends report? So the legal trends report is a very unique item, actually. It's a report that Clio has been publishing for the last six years that analyzes aggregate anonymized data from mm -hmm. tens of thousands of legal professionals in the United States, supported by extensive survey research that offers unique insight into law firm efficiencies, hourly rates, key metrics for success, and so much more. It's been, I think, a game changer in how we understand how law firms of all sizes work. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I know that a lot of us cite the Legal Trends Report when we're, when we're talking about things that we'd like to do, reasons why we're doing things. So I think it's definitely something to look into. Yeah. I'm excited to announce that our 2021 edition is out. We just published it in late October. And people can go and download it for free at clio.com forward slash LTR, because we're just going to be scratching the surface in this interview. Well, so uh, along those lines, what are some of the major themes from this year's Legal Trends Report? Because they, they change as we go and, and adjust each time one comes out, right? Yeah, every year we, we kind of look to, to tell a slightly more nuanced story about what it's like to run a law firm, what it's like to practice law in these modern times. And so this year, our data led us to two major themes. The first is the idea of addressing business intelligence performance. How well do you really know the business side of your law firm? Mm -hmm. And what can you do to make smart bets and enhance both your intelligence and the performance of your law firm? And the flip side to that was client experience and the changing attorney-client dynamic that both technology in and of itself and the pandemic have really started to make apparent that we've got this big change happening between attorney and clients. And how are we going to address that together? Right. And a lot of those things are through you know, client portals. But, but more than that, and I think something that, that Clio talks about a lot, you know, being client centric, and that a lot of times comes from this business intelligence data as well, right? You can't separate one from the other. And that's what I find really interesting about this year's report is we can throw a lot of stats out and I will. But it's only when you step back and look at them holistically, mm -hmm. the smart bets that we find that really lead to revenue performance, oftentimes are the very things that clients are asking for as a part of a client-centric experience. And so when we pair those together, that's where the real value of this year's Legal Trends Report comes, is what are the smart bets that lead to a win-win, both for me as a lawyer and a business person, mm -hmm. and for my clients who are seeking help from a counselor at law? How do we create that win-win? Right. So for example, if we look at the idea of business intelligence, uh, one of the things that we found really shocking in this year's report was how few lawyers really understand a year-over-year -year performance in their, their law firm. Mm -hmm. They kind of know how this year's going, but they, they can't really compare it to last year or where they want to be in the next year. Right. Uh, in fact, we found that just about half of managing partners solo lawyers and senior partners at law firms really felt confident in knowing how their firm's revenue growth has happened year over year and will happen into the future. And these are the people who should be on top of that. And this, this feeds right into, quite frankly, the, the key metrics that we've been publishing since 2016, the mm -hmm. utilization rate, realization rate, and collection rates for law firms. 
each of these has a unique measurement on how the firm is performing. So the, the most important one the most law firms really need to get a grasp on is that of their utilization rate. Mm -hmm. The average law firm really only spends about 31% of their day on billable legal work. There's a lot of other tasks that are doing, they're working really hard, mm -hmm. but the legal work is only at most a third of their day for many law firms. That actually trickles down through all the other statistics that we publish and shows why many law firms feel like they're on a treadmill and really struggling to run a sustainable business mm -hmm. because they just aren't spending time where both their clients are getting value and quite frankly, the law firm can bill for right. the value that they're providing. And that lack of insight on that business intelligence is a real problem for a lot of law firms out there. Mm -hmm. So we actually dove in a little deeper this year to take a look at growing law firms, those firms who over time are improving their key metrics. Like, what are they really doing? And one thing that shouldn't surprise anybody listening is that growing law firms are 100% more likely to get accurate data on firm performance. They're using reporting tools and they're, they're just sitting down and looking at their numbers, which is not something that I think every law firm does. Right. Uh, but then we found some simple things that we think every law firm can do that actually really helps with their business intelligence and their firm performance. An example of which is that Growing law firms are 37% more likely to accept electronic payments. And why is that important? From the client experience point of view, it makes it easy for the client to pay their bill, mm -hmm. which doesn't sound like that big an innovation. Uh, but when you consider the fact that 25% of law firms are still asking clients to write a paper check to them, <laughs> that's, that's a huge differentiator between a law firm that's just like, oh yeah, just here's a link, click on it, pay me, versus you have to figure out where your checkbook has been sitting in the back of that cabinet for the last eight years and pay me with it. Under the seat of your car. Yeah. And it <laughs> makes a big difference for the law firms that have adopted it. They mm -hmm. make uh, anywhere from five to 16% more revenue per month. Um, and they even find that they're attracting more clients. So they get 8% more cases per month just by accepting electronic payments. That's the, the correlation we're seeing there. Mm -hmm. Growing law firms are also 41% more likely to use client portals, like you mentioned before, and 46% more likely to have like a client intake tool, something where the client can take control of some of the data entry, whether it's scheduling meetings with their lawyer or sharing documents with their lawyer or actually entering the data themselves so the lawyer isn't acting like a glorified transcriptionist, right? <laughs> All of these things both provide value and a good experience to the client and free the lawyer up to focus on that legal billable work that we were talking about before. So mm -hmm. again, the flip sides of the coin, it's really amazing to see that happening. Well, so obviously the thing that's on everyone's mind, you know, a lot of times right now is the pandemic and how that's changed expectations between the clients and the attorneys and, and really kind of all of those relationships. Yeah. One of the things we found really interesting is that from the clients we've interviewed as a part of this Legal Trends report, there's no going back. And so 79% of legal consumers have uh, said they'll be more likely to hire a lawyer that offers the option to communicate remotely. They don't wanna sit in your office all the time. They do wanna to talk to you, but they don't necessarily need it to be in person. Uh, and so growing law firms are less likely to spend on commercial office space is an interesting stat we found. And 67% of consumers expect the lawyer to offer uh, the option of a completely remote client experience. They might not take you up on it, but they're looking for that possibility. 
What's interesting is they also have an expectation of the lawyer having secure, responsible communication technology. So 65% of consumers are concerned about the privacy of the information they're sharing with a lawyer. Mm-hmm. And 82% of them believe that the lawyer should be taking steps to secure that data and be able to communicate that they have, right? And so this changing attorney-client relationship is the idea of the lawyer needs to come to me in -hmm. some fashion, right? Remote communication, but you better do so in a way that is smart, intelligent, and secure. Right. And that's a big shift from what we've seen in the past. That is a huge shift. Usually it was it was lawyers trying to drag clients into the secure communication portals. So that's mm-hmm. that's fantastic. Well, Joshua, I, there's obviously a lot of information in this legal trends report, as there always is. And if people want to read more, as I'm sure they will and should, they can go to www.clio.com forward slash LTR. And again, thanks for being with us. It's always a wealth of information. It's always great to speak with you, Zach. And I really appreciate all the help Lawyerist does in like taking these high level facts that we have and turning them into actions that your listeners can take. So thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. We'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Ashley Steckman. I'm the project director at Lawyerist. Hey, Ashley. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So maybe we should tell everybody a little bit more about what you do on our team because you're the official title project director. But what does that mean? And then what do you do in our lab community? Yeah, for sure. So my role here at Lawyerist has by and large always been on a project basis. And so often we've changed my title around a little bit. Um, I am the product director, but it mostly means that I'm project managing anything that we define as a project and the way that we deliver it. Yeah. Then you help lawyers figure out how to do that for their business. I do, for sure. Scoping projects, um, timelines, efficiency, Um, those kinds of things, how to help people implement those systems and practices um, within their firms. Yeah. So I'm super excited to talk to you today because I do think this is an area people just get stuck on, right? It sounds, I mean, it's an easy enough word, project management, but then it just kind of feels enormous. (laughs) Like we just don't do it. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I think there's two things going on with the idea of project management. One is, oh, it's something that I'm not strong in, right? Mm. Oftentimes people identify it that way. And then the other thing is, well, I project manage all the time. I run a business, right? I manage a team. I manage caseload. Like this is part of the process of what I do. And so there's this on one hand, big, huge thing. I don't have time for project management or that's not my skill set. And then there's another thing, um, another way that we often frame it. And that is, um, I do that all the time, right? And so there's some things inside of there that we often take for granted, I think. Yeah. So maybe let's give the listeners some context. So when we talk about this idea of project management, like what does that even mean? What, What kind of things would you put in that big bucket? Yeah, I think the way that I usually frame it is I come to work and I have things that I need to do every day in my role things that I need to do every week, things that I need to um, keep an eye on that are part of my regular um, daily tasks. I like to think about project management from the framework of extra things 
that we're not normally focused on or things that need to get done. Oftentimes we have projects that need to get done, things, actions, tasks that we want to implement so that we can reach a goal or that solve an issue. And so are we seeking opportunities? We need to do this new thing. Are we trying to fix an issue? We need to do this new thing. And so I think it's one, we can think about it in the terms of there's things that we manage as projects as part of our daily work. And then there's these extra things. And I think more often that's where we get tripped up is I need to solve this problem. I need to reach this goal. I need to unlock this um, space for opportunity. And I don't have the time. Yeah, that makes sense. So on the one hand, it could be something like I want to redo my client intake process. And that's a whole new project that I'm going to take on because we want to really tackle that. But then I also hear you say it could show up in like, hey, every month we're going to do X number of blog posts as part of our marketing strategy. And that's going to happen every single month. And there's a whole process that needs to follow to get a good blog out because it involves multiple people and multiple steps. And so that might be a project we want to manage. Does that kind of capture what you're saying as examples? Yeah, absolutely. So when we think about doing this and the first thing that you said, which totally makes sense, is people think, I don't have time. I don't have time to do another thing. Like, what is it you want me to do? So, I mean, what do you tell people when they push back that way? Yeah, um, (laughs) I do think that's a place that we commonly get stuck because our plates are full, right? And if I had time, I would be able to do this. I think where we end up getting stuck is that we're not properly scoping the idea of what it is we want to do properly before we plan and attack the project because we do have time. (laughs) We're just not prioritizing time in a way that's allowing us to use different resources to work on that project. So I would suggest when we have this sense of, I just don't have enough time. I have all of these ideas, right? Oftentimes we get stuck. I have a lot of ideas and I can even prioritize them. These are the things that I need to do first, but where we get stuck is, and I wish I had more time so I could focus on those things. So another place that people get stuck is they're opening up too much space on their calendar for other people to fill it. Right. (laughs) And for them to fill it. One of our lobsters said to me in the past, I didn't realize that if I put time for the project every Friday from two to noon, or I'm sorry, from 10 to noon, I can sit down and have that project time. And if I don't set that aside, I will fill it up. Right. And so I think it's being intentional about how we choose to fill that time when we think about, we all have these projects that need to have time and attention and focus, even in the midst of our full schedule. Right. And so you, you talked about that most of us don't scope the project, right? So what should we be doing when we're sitting down to scope the project? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, I think there's some questions that we should ask at the beginning. What does this project look like? What does it entail? What am I trying to do? Like I said earlier, sometimes it's we need to have additional opportunities in different areas or we need to solve an issue, right? There's this thing that keeps happening and we need to figure out a better system 
so that we don't keep having this, this slip up or getting stuck in this, in this area. I think there's some questions that we should ask up front um, before we even really scope out the project. And that is, what are we trying to do with it? So get clear on the purpose. What is it going to do? Is it going to provide opportunity or is it going to solve an issue? Or sometimes, like I think you said earlier, um, developing a system just to have a, a better flow um, is now the time to do it. I think that's another place that people often um, get stuck because we, we have these really good ideas, right? This new shiny thing. And absolutely, we need to do that. And so we want to do it now because everyone's excited and eager to do it now. Sometimes it's not the time. <laughs> and right. so to get realistic and clear on that is now the time. Are we going to be able to do this in nine weeks if this is what we want to get done? And just having, even before making that decision is now the time or answering that question, what kind of obligations is it going to shift? And what kind of resources do we need to have? And that's when I think even getting a general vague idea of like, what kinds of resources do we need to have to do this thing before you get into really scoping out and detailing out, right? Scoping is just detailing out what the project looks like, um, all of the components, the timeline and, and things like that. That is so helpful. I was on the phone with a lawyer last week in a coaching call, and they were very frustrated because... They had taken our advice and delegated a project out to another team member, which is, you know, we're always encouraging the lawyers to do, like get things off your plate. But they had delegated this task of cleaning up their email list for marketing purposes to um, the receptionist. And she was like, she's just not getting it done. And I've told her this is what she should be doing in her free time, in her spare time. This is a mm. project she should be doing. And I was like, wait a minute. Did you hear what you just said? I was like, if you're telling her this is something you do in your downtime. One, how often do you really have downtime? And two, you've basically now in your delegation said, this is not a priority. This is not something, you know, this is just the leftover. And like, you could see the light bulb go off. And she was like, oh, yeah, like, I've basically already told her to deprioritize this project just in the way I've delegated it. And what I hear you saying in some of those questions is, how much is this project going to need in terms of resources? Is this something that's going to take up 10 hours of my receptionist time? And if that's the case, what am I going to shift or how am I going to make sure that the person has the resources, in this case, time that they need to actually complete the project? It's, yeah. I mean, it sounds so common sense when we say it, but obviously that's a real life example of, of where we get ourselves tripped up in thinking through it. Yeah. And I think, I think you're absolutely right. And we frame it those two different ways. And I think that happens a lot. Yes, this is a priority in my extra time, or this is a priority in your extra time, because we have this idea that if we frame it another way and say, this is your priority, we have maybe this fear around that means nothing else is going to get done. And really, it's just being intentional with what I mean by with your extra time is <laughs> make sure that we're doing what we need to do in terms of like daily things that we know have to get done every day, but also setting aside that time to work on this project, right? Yeah. Do you find people, I think, underestimate our, the amount of time a project's going to take and then that trips them up? Is that something they need to be really thoughtful about? And when in that scoping time, 
do they need to actually say like, this is a 10 hour project or this is a 40 hour project? Absolutely. I think that's so helpful. And I think even in people who do a lot of project management, that's one thing that we often overlook because we get really good at identifying the objective, what it is that we want to have happen, who's going to do it, what kind of resources do we need, what does the definition of done look like, right? Here's what we want to do at the end, and let's do that. And then we forget that this sometimes, (laughs) if we're going to do it in nine weeks, it actually might take two hours every day. And so do we have that kind of time to be able to focus on it And do we need to shift and prioritize other things? Because if we don't add that into the scoping part of the process and think about it up front, what does this project all entail? We don't have two hours a day. We might have two hours a week. Right. And then we might need to rescope the project and it might be two extra people or it might be hiring out a portion of it. It might be trying to automate some portion of it. It might be version one, two, right, over quarters. And so I think sometimes this new shiny thing or this thing that really is a bottleneck in our current system or something that we need to do for the business to open up new opportunities, we need to do it now. We also need to be realistic on the timeline (laughs) and what that means. We need to do it now. We need to do it three months ago is sometimes the situation. Um, But we also need to understand that we either have two hours a day or two hours a week so that we don't run into a panic. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I think that's so helpful and it's so hard to do. And I mean, I have this conversation all the time. It could be something as simple as like figuring out a new software tool. And someone was sharing with me recently, like they're just so frustrated because they couldn't believe how long this took. Like they just thought, oh, I just... I'm a small firm. I need new project management software. I'm just going to go out and, you know, do a little research and pick one. And it has consumed like the better part of six months for them. Like it really has been a hard process. And so I think even we underestimate on the front end or we don't estimate at all. And then we get in it and then we kind of just get stuck in it really, I guess. Yeah. I think sometimes when we take on, especially things like that, I'm going to implement this one tool the software that I've researched and I think is going to really solve a lot of my problems. So I'm going to implement it. (laughs) And there's a lot of work that goes into that. I think what happens is that we don't have realistic expectations because what oftentimes we want is I have this tool, I have this solution. I know that it's going to unlock all of these things for me and make my process easier but we want that to be the full solution right up front. And so I think the other thing that's important to think about when we think about scoping projects or we think about implementing new tools is that there's a best use for it. And that doesn't mean we cannot have some of the good components happening at the beginning. Sometimes when we scope different projects or implement new software tools, It's like, I want it to do all of this up front. And then we get stuck in the process because I need to have this fully developed system before I hit go. And sometimes we can hit go and make iterative improvements and incorporate new things as we go along. And we don't necessarily have to have in some things, right? We don't have to have 
the full plan the day we start using it. Yeah. So helpful. We need to take a quick break here from our sponsors. When we come back, I want to dive into this idea of delegating and being the project manager that delegates. So we'll be right back. Support for today's episode comes from Text Expander. Minimize effort, maximize productivity with Text Expander. Text Expander helps you work faster and smarter so you can focus your time on your most important work. Drive faster results in three steps. One, create. Make snippets of text for support responses, sales outreach, or even common emails to save them in Text Expander. Two, trigger. Just type a few characters and watch the snippet automatically expand your text. You can add fill in the blank or more complex functionality to customize your message. Three, share. Share snippets across your organization. Your team can customize and insert the text in any app on Mac, Windows, Chrome, or iOS with a few keystrokes. Are you a startup looking to scale? Text Expander is here to help you on your journey. Check out Text Expander for Startups, a program that's specifically designed to help startup teams communicate more consistently, accurately, and efficiently. Show listeners get 20% off their first year. Visit TextExpander.com forward slash podcast to learn more about Text Expander. Support for today's episode comes from Rankings.io, helping hyper-competitive personal injury attorneys dominate first-page rankings through search engine optimization to become better recognized as the leading law firm in your metro. Rankings is solely focused on SEO for personal injury law firms. You'll work with an entire team of SEO specialists dedicated to helping clients dominate search results with unparalleled industry expertise. Rankings focuses on proof, not promises, by delivering results and never leaving their clients in the dark. You will receive monthly reports that give a full snapshot of where you stand as you watch your firm climb to the first page of Google and generate high-value leads. Most importantly, you'll be one of an elite few. Rankings' unrelenting conviction to be the best drives them to do everything to ensure the personal injury law firms working with them are dominating the search results. To see if you're a fit, visit rankings.io forward slash lawyerist to get started. Today's podcast is brought to you by Latera. Delivering high quality work on time and on budget is what matters most to your clients. Latera helps law firms maximize client retention rates, increase profit margins, and enhance lawyer happiness. In short, they simplify complex workflows by connecting legal teams to the data they need every day. The result? End user happiness. Most of the world's largest law firms, boutique firms, and corporate legal departments trust Latera to help their legal teams manage all of their documents, deals, cases, and data. Are you ready to join them? Latera is excited to hear about the challenges facing your organization, show you their software in action, or simply discuss whatever else might be top of mind. Get a demo with their document experts today by visiting latera.com forward slash lawyerist. All right, Ashley, we're back in just a minute ago, you were sharing with us how important it is to scope projects on the front end. And I brought up a scenario where someone tried to delegate a project. So then that got me thinking, okay, if I'm the one and I'm going to delegate this project that I want to get done in my firm to someone else, how much of the scoping do I do? How much do they do? And how much do we do together? And how, you know, are there some good guidelines there? Because I bet that that's I have seen the case, you tell me, like where somebody just says, here's the thing, go do it. And then the person really flounders. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I guess like, where do you, what tips do you have for us? Yeah, I think another thing I'm going to add to that. Another thing that we tell people when we say, I want you to own this. So I trust you, go work on it. 
what does that sound like for you, right? Like, what does that mean to you? And where does my ownership of this project end or begin? Yeah. And I think sometimes we don't maybe give enough guidelines. When I say I want you to own this, I don't mean that you're going to be doing everything for this project. If you have questions, absolutely ask. If we need to scope up front, right? If you need to know what I want at the end of this, let's talk about that. Because I think sometimes when we tell people, I need you to research this, I need you to figure out the best approach and then implement it and um, notify me, right? Notify the team what, what the plan is. Sometimes there's a little bit misleading that happens because sometimes the person has this clear idea of what they want those things to look like. And if you do some scoping together up front, maybe you take a half an hour and think about what do we want to achieve at the end? Who's going to own this versus who's going to help with this? And so if we think about the steps of the process, what kinds of milestones do we have to have happen? And what kinds of steps do we need to take to get there? It's not usually one person doing the entire thing, even if you're a a solo small firm, right? Yeah. Because we can have other resources helping us. And so I I think it's really important to set up projects for success by first identifying and getting everyone on board. What's the objective? What kind of resources do we need? Um, What are those really important milestones so that we know we can move the process along? And what's the reasonable timeline for when we want this to get done? And what does that actually look like? If we're thinking about developing new, maybe we don't have um, an operations manual or procedures manual. Well, is that 100% done? Or do we want this project to be What do we need to define and develop those systems so that we can be mindful about keeping them up to date, right? Is 100% operations manual in four weeks reasonable? (laughs) I'm just going to say no. (laughs) You're just going to say no. Yeah, I'm just going to say no too. It's not. It's not reasonable. If you heard that example, no. And I have lawyers come to me and they're like, oh, this quarter we're going to do our operations manual. And I'm like, You mean you're going to do an index and you're going to have a process for how you're going to complete the operations manual that will likely take you two to three years. And then let's face it, it's never really done. It's just forever. Yeah. And so identifying that up front, who's going to own the constant upkeep schedule, right? Not who's going to complete this thing and have it shiny so we can set it on the shelf. Right. And I think another mistake, you know, when we delegate these projects, And this is, I think, can be solved in that scoping period, that time where you're talking to someone about what does it mean to own something? We all make this mistake, right? Like, I assume I'm giving you this project and you'll just, of course, you'll approach it the same way I would. Like, in my mind, if I were going to tackle this project, I'd probably consider these five things and I would go look up these things and I would research this or I'd ask these questions or I'd have an interview with this person, right? Like there's a way we would approach the project. And sometimes we make the mistake of just assuming that that's the way other people would approach the project. And then we're very frustrated when they come back to us and they're, they didn't do any of those things. They didn't go ask those questions or do those interviews or that research. And so you can really save yourself on the front end by having more definitive, you know, scoping conversations about what's even the approach we want to take. Like you keep talking about like, 
what do we want to achieve at the end and what are the milestones are going to you know be and what what is the definition of done and also here's what I want you to do in the process that's not micromanaging that's just managing and and clarifying yeah. up front what it is that we mean when we say go research best practices what does that mean i think it's important another important question <laughs> I often talk about project management from a perspective of we need to be asking all of the right questions up front, right? We need to be asking a lot of questions up front. And you reminded me of another question that we need to have up front when we are identifying what the objectives are, um, what the resources are, what the timeline looks like. We also need to say, and to me, this means, right? If we're delegating something and what I mean by this is, when I say research best practices, here's where I would start. And if we're delegating it to someone else, they might have different assumptions. They might have different definitions of, of done. They might think that you want a rough draft outline of how we would get to the end. And if that's not what you mean, and we want to end up at the end, <laughs> um, we need to be defining that up front. And often saying often and what I mean by this is um, or what does this mean to you I also teach adjunct here and there <laughs> and I often tell my students I need to know what that word means to you I need to know what research means to you I need to know what a rough draft means to you I need to know what version one means to you um, because to me it means this thing. And I want to make sure that's clear before we jump in. Because I think another thing we frequently do with project management is we jump in. Yes. Right. We we don't want to wait to get started. We want to get started. And sometimes we lose or get lost in the process because we haven't identified those metrics and those things that are measurable and we haven't gotten on the same page. And if we took 30 minutes to get on the same page, um, we'd have a better roadmap. Mm. That is so, I mean, you just said something so impactful. So I'm going to call it out to everyone because I saw this a lot when I was practicing law. Like I would ask my associates, you know, I want a draft of this brief or motion or whatever it is we were working on. And a mistake that I saw happen over and over again was that they would give me something and they would just expect me to fix it. Like they knew I was going to, you know, work on it and edit it. And it used to drive me bonkers because I'd be like, I want you to give me what you think is a finished product. Or if you're not, you need to tell me why, right? Like we could, if yeah. you're stuck on something, let's unstuck you, unstick you. That's probably a better way to say that. So I don't want you in there spinning your wheels. But if you're giving me the draft of, in this case, like of a final motion, I shouldn't be fixing formatting. I shouldn't be doing all the little things that I feel like you should have done or you should have thought through this. And I realized, and I would get resentful because I'd be like, what? You know, they're just handing me this and they just know I can't let it go out the door if it's not perfect. So they just, and then I'm wasting my time. But a mistake that we were probably making back then and you alerted to that I assume a lot of attorneys still make is We've never defined what rough draft means or outline means or final draft means. Like if you're going to give me a final draft, it better be just that. I want you to think this is ready to give to the judge today. Yeah. And then I might still I might still make changes to it because I want to, you know, 
make the arguments better. But fundamentally, this is what I think. And so ultimately, I came up with a checklist. Like before you give me a brief, these 10 things, you know, are the headings this or the form, right? I had them. Did you think through this? Is your intro compelling? And I just had an outline that everybody would have to work through and make sure they had done this final edit. Yeah. And I think you pointed out another disconnect that often happens when we're thinking about who's helping and who's owning. And especially when we're delegating or we're working with someone else on a project, it does not mean when you are working on something in collaboration with someone else that you should give them a draft with the assumption that they are going to go in and clean it up and make it reach their expectations for what done is. But that also does not mean that you can't ask questions. And so I think when we're delegating, it's important to tell someone, I want you to own the answers, but that doesn't mean that you can't ask me if you get stuck along the, um, along the way, because there is certainly a disconnect and I see it a lot, is that if you want me to own this, does that mean I have to figure it all out? No, it does not mean you have to figure it all out. But also, it does not mean that you are going to give me everything that you know, which is a draft, and then I will fill in the gaps at the end. We can do that in conjunction along the way. Yeah, super helpful. I feel like there's a lot on uh, project management that we can dive into. So I know we're going to have you back on the show to deal with this topic because I feel like we're just scratching the surface. But maybe today just covering scoping was all we can get to. We're kind of out of time, which makes me sad. We don't need to do complete things at the beginning, right? There's a lesson there. That was it. Yes. Yeah. This podcast, scoping. Come back for the next step. Thanks, Ashley. Awesome. Thank you. The Lawyerist Podcast is produced by Bailey Tiller and edited by Ryan Croft. Are you ready to implement the ideas we discussed here into your practice? Wondering what to do next? Here are your first two steps. First, if you haven't read the Small Firm Roadmap yet, grab the first chapter for free at lawyerist.com book. Looking for help beyond the book? Let's chat about whether our coaching communities are right for you. Head to lawyerist.com community slash lab to schedule a 15-minute call with our community manager. The views expressed by the participants are their own and not endorsed by the Legal Talk Network. Nothing said in this podcast is legal advice for you.